All of us have looked forward to this time when we are able to partake of public communion again together. The last time we held the elements in our hands together in church was a year ago next Sunday. And of course, uh, they were not wrapped in cellophane like they are today for our protection. And for those of you that are online watching today and perhaps holding elements in your hands, I know you feel blessed to join the body here as we partake of communion together. Now the reason communion is so important and we have missed it so greatly is it has one purpose and that is to point to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we hold the bread and the cup in our hands, they take us back to the cross where Jesus suffered and where he shed his blood. And so this morning, before we partake together of communion, I want to bring a message entitled, Why the Cross? Why the Cross? And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 12, verses 31 to 33, because five days before Jesus went to the cross and suffered and died there for us, he explained in very clear terms why the cross is necessary and what the cross means for us. And so in your Bibles, John chapter 12, and notice Jesus' words here in verses 31 to 33. Our Lord speaks to us and he says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Why the cross? Why the cross? Well, I want you to notice to begin with, the cross is how Jesus defeated our greatest enemies. The cross is the means by which Jesus defeated our greatest enemies. I'm sure as you noticed as I read verse 31 that Jesus links together judgment on sin and judgment on Satan very, very carefully. You'll notice the repetition of the word now. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And Jesus here is clearly taking us back to the Garden of Eden, isn't he? When Adam and Eve sinned. And in sinning, they fell under the rulership of sin. They fell under the dominion of Satan. The Bible teaches us that we are more than just sinners. We are actually born under the power of sin. And then because God said death was the penalty for their sin, the Bible also teaches that we are born under the power of death. Now, when you are under a power, what does that mean? Well, it means you're powerless, doesn't it? In the words of Romans chapter 5, we are born without strength spiritually. So Satan has the weapons and we are powerless to take them away. And so what is the answer? The answer is the cross. The answer is the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he was the sinless substitute that paid for sin's penalty. Therefore, he took away Satan's first weapon, his power to make us guilty through sin. 
And then when Jesus rose again, breaking the power of death over us, over those who belong to him, he took away Satan's second weapon, and that is the power to condemn us to death. Now this is why the Bible teaches us that for every Christian, Satan is a defeated foe. Isn't that good news this morning? Satan is a a defeated foe. Now, he is still a very dangerous foe. Make no mistake about that. But he is a defeated foe, and his eventual doom is sure. And the Bible says, for those who are in Christ, we can resist his work in our lives. Did you know that there is one verse in the Bible that gives us a complete strategy for defeating Satan? It is a wonderful verse in Revelation 12, and so turn with me for just a moment from John 12 to Revelation 12, and here we are in that section of the Bible where Satan's uh, complete uh, doom is drawing very, very close, and I want you to notice what the Apostle John says is the strategy for defeating Satan in our daily lives. Look at verse 11 of Revelation 12. Speaking in the context of the great dragon, Satan of old, the Bible says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. This is how we defeat the defeated foe, Satan. Notice, we conquer him by the blood of the Lamb. That's the power of what Christ did for us on the cross when he freed us as we so beautifully were singing from sin and death. And then notice that we conquer him, secondly, by the word of our testimony. That is referring to being certain that we have trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we are sure that by faith we belong to him, and then making it clear to all those that are around us that I belong to Jesus, and I'm following him as his child. A testimony is a public thing, isn't it? When you're called to give a testimony, you give a public witness And here this testimony is a public witness that I belong to Jesus. I'm sure that he is mine and I am his and I want all those around me to know that I'm following him. You know what I discovered in high school? I discovered when my friends knew for sure that I was a Christian following Jesus, there were a lot of parties I never got invited to where a whole lot of wrong things were taking place that would have been great temptation to me, but because they knew I had a testimony for Christ, I was not invited to those parties. Praise the name of the Lord. And then I want you to notice the third part of this strategy. It is loving Jesus more than life itself. It says, they love not their lives, even unto death. Do you know, the more you love Jesus in daily life, the more you will hate what Satan offers to you. As you learn to love him for who he is, for what he has done for you in his death and resurrection, 
And as you learn to love what he teaches you in the word, you will grow in your hatred of what Satan offers to you. And what a powerful incentive that is to resist the devil. You see what the Bible is saying? The cross is our foundation. Our testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus is our witness. And our love for Jesus daily directs our lives. What a powerful strategy for defeating Satan. The cross is our foundation. Our testimony is our faith in Jesus. And our love for Jesus directs our daily lives. That's the strategy for defeating Satan. And it all begins with what Jesus did at the cross. Well, now I want you to notice another answer that Jesus gives to why the cross is the cross makes clear who Jesus really is. The cross makes clear who Jesus really is. Let me ask you this morning, can you really understand Jesus without the cross? Can you? I don't think so. Jesus says here, when when I'm lifted up from the earth, and that has a, a twofold meaning. It clearly means when he is lifted up in physical death on the cross. He says that in verse 33. John says, as he reflects on what Jesus had just said, he said this to show again by what kind of death he was going to die. But this phrase, lifted up, also is used of Jesus' exaltation. And it's very clear when Jesus referred to the cross that he meant the cross and all that would follow it. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, His exaltation and his glorification, all of that is signified by the cross. It's interesting, this last week, the local pastors were talking about the upcoming Good Friday service, which last year had to be canceled. And one of the pastors asked this question. He says, when we are preaching about the cross on Good Friday, is it okay if we mention the resurrection? And of course, we all burst out laughing because we knew he was jesting, he was joking. Without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. Of course, when you're preaching on the cross, you can mention the resurrection because both go together, don't they? Yes, they do. So when Jesus says in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world, what he means is this, the cross and the resurrection make crystal clear who he is. The cross and the resurrection reveal clearly who he is. So that if we do not accept him, there is only one other alternative. It is his judgment. I don't know how many of you are aware that Thomas Jefferson, who was the uh, author of the Declaration of Independence, one of our earliest presidents and a founding father of our country, created his own Bible. Jefferson did not believe in the supernatural. And so using a pair of scissors, he cut out the miracles of Jesus in the four Gospels. And I want you to listen to what happened as a result of that Bible he created. 
It didn't include major scenes like the resurrection or ascension to heaven, or miracles like turning water into wine or walking on water. Instead, Jefferson's Bible focused on Jesus as a man of morals, a teacher whose truths were expressed without the help of miracles or the supernatural powers of God. You can find that Bible on the internet. It's in two volumes. Volume one is entitled The Philosophy of Jesus of Nazareth. Volume two is entitled The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Jefferson said, Jesus was only a great philosopher and a moral teacher. That's all he was. But Jesus did not leave that option open to us, did he? He did not. His death and resurrection are just too clear. He is the Savior of the world. And we must accept Him for who He really is, or we will not accept Him at all. And to understand who Jesus is in his death and resurrection and ascension and exaltation and glorification and yet reject him is to choose only one other option. That is his judgment. And so Jesus says the cross, the cross, it shows us clearly who he really is. And then I want you to notice uh, a final answer here that Jesus gives to why the cross. The cross is how Jesus attracts believers. The cross is how Jesus attracts believers. If you are here today and you're a believer, you remember how this worked in your life and how the cross and Jesus' death upon that cross, as you began to understand it, became so attractive for you. When Jesus says here, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people, and he means all kinds of people, all kinds of men and women, boys and girls throughout the earth. Uh, The word draw here is a very significant word in John's gospel. It means to attract powerfully on the inner life of people that woos them to the Savior. One Bible teacher translates it here in this passage, I will exert on all men an attractive influence. Elsewhere, Jesus teaches us that this drawing is an effective drawing that accomplishes its very purpose. Jesus said in in John chapter 6, no one can come to me unless the Father draw him. And all that the Father gives to me, said Jesus, will come to me, and I will raise them up. Now it's very clear here that Jesus is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, who would be sent into the world following the cross and the resurrection to accomplish this drawing work. It was so interesting last night in Pastor Hank's excellent message out at the men's dinner that he spoke about this drawing in his life and how the Lord was drawing him to himself even though he did not fully understand all that was happening. Pastor Hank, as I listened to you describe that, I could think of that in my own life. 
I had grown up in church. I'd been in church since the time that I was a baby. But all of a sudden, I remember as a teenager that I began to be awakened to spiritual things in a way that I had never, never been awakened before. And I did not understand what was going on because I didn't know about the work of the Holy Spirit. It was only years later as I reflected back on why am I all of a sudden listening with new ears? Why am I all of a sudden being drawn to this truth that before was sort of uh, not all that important to me? And I began to understand in a new way that it was the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is it, I have to ask myself this question, that a cross that is an instrument of death becomes attractive? How is it that a a man impaled upon a stake woos people to himself? And I think every Christian knows this morning that there are at least two answers to that question, and here are those answers. Number one, When the Holy Spirit is working effectively in someone's life, they see the cross as the greatest demonstration of the love of God. You all know that. You understand that. When the Holy Spirit works effectively in someone's life, they begin to see the cross as the greatest demonstration of the love of God. And oh, how attractive that is. A pastor friend of mine said one day during the week he came to his church in the morning and he happened to glance into the sanctuary where he noticed a solitary woman who was staring at the cross in the front of the church like we have behind me here this morning. And as he watched her just staring at the cross, he said to himself, I need to go over and ask her if I can help her in some way. When he did, this is what she said to him. I just need to know that someone still loves me. She had experienced a deep rejection. And the pain of that rejection. And in the midst of that confusing time in her life, she wondered, does someone still love me? And the reason she was staring at the cross was instinctively she knew if Jesus is God and he died that horrible death for me, then I know he loves me. He loves me. And that ugly scene at the cross becomes attractive because it displays the love of God. And then the second answer as to why the cross is so attractive is when the Holy Spirit is working effectively in someone's life, they see the cross as the means of forgiveness and acceptance with God. When the Holy Spirit removes the blinders from your eyes and and takes that heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh, you see that the cross is the means that God has appointed whereby sin can be paid for, forgiveness can be received, and acceptance with God given. When John the Baptist one day saw Jesus walking along, he pointed to him. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And the Lamb of God referred to the sacrifice that would atone for the sins of the world. And so Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross would make it possible for a holy God to save sinners. And as the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to that truth, you draw into the crucified Lamb whose death you know enables you to be saved. I read about a man in an art gallery who was looking at a painting of Jesus dying on the cross. And as he gazed at the battered and bleeding body of the Lord Jesus, a new love for the Savior flooded his heart. And with great feeling, he just exclaimed, Bless him! I love him! I love him! There were bystanders who were around him who saw tears glistening on his face though he had become oblivious of those nearby. Instinctively, four of those bystanders drew closer to him and they said to him, we love him too, brother. We love him too. And in that moment, Total strangers were drawn together as fellow believers by the cross, by the cross. That's why communion is so special to us. We love him too. We love him too. And in his death, burial, Resurrection, ascension, exaltation, and glorification. He has cleansed us, saved us, washed us, renewed us. And we love him. And we love his cross. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's thank him. Oh, Lord God, what a special moment this is for your people. How thankful we are for these elements that we hold. They're so special to us. Not because there's any efficacy in them. Not because they're anything more than common bread and common juice. But they speak to us of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world is crucified unto us and we are crucified unto the world. And Savior, we express our great love to you today. Greater love is no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And yet God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, today, 
for those of us who know you. Help our hearts to rejoice in what you've done for us. Draw those who yet need to know you to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the power of the Spirit and the truth of your word, show them his wonder and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.